I am delighted to welcome to Church and Culture someone I've known for a long time, but I don't think he's ever been on before in the 10 years of Church and Culture, and that is Eric Prince. Eric is the co-founder of Unplugged Technologies. He is the managing director of Frontier Resource Group. He is the founder of Blackwater, former Navy SEAL officer, proud graduate of Hillsdale College, author of a book, Civilian Warriors, The Inside Story of Blackwater and the Unsung Heroes of the War on Terror. And he's begun late last year a podcast entitled Off Leash with Eric Prince. And Off Leash is now available on Rumble, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts and all major podcast platforms. Eric, welcome to Church and Culture. Hey, thanks, Neil. Nice to be here. You know, I got very interested in having you on the show because when you and I met at CPAC only about a week ago, you told me about this very exciting new phone company that you have founded uh, and the technology that you've developed for the phone. Could you give us an idea of why this is unique and why you think it's needed for the general public? Sure. This... uh this phone project resulted from a basically a, a rage frustration phone call between myself and some friends after the 2020 election and seeing what big tech and big government was doing to suppress or even censor free speech, political speech in America. And um, we said, yeah, well, someone's got to do something about this. Someone needs to generate, to create a phone that is independent of the Google and Apple universe that they can never shut off sensor or control and it turns out this the CTO the chief technology officer that we already had on on staff had actually developed a, a full operating system before on a high security phone he's also the guy that developed Pegasus which is an offensive phone cyber virus used for intelligence collection purposes and uh, and he actually developed a phone that controls most of the world's pacemakers in the world because uh, obviously you, you can't have a hackable pacemaker. Right. Um, so we said we need to have our own hardware with our own operating system uh, that would focus on, on data privacy and security. And, and every phone that you use today has an advertising ID. It's like a 25-digit, almost like a mark of the beast, and it helps the handset maker collect where you go, what you buy, who you call, and what you browse. And that advertising ID in the operating system, it's embedded, hard-coded, interacts with all the apps to turn on your microphone or your GPS or your camera to further collect and export your data from using your phone. And so our phone, the unplugged phone, is our hardware, um, our operating system, and with our own store, messenger, VPN, etc., and the important thing is we don't have an advertising ID and our operating system hard blocks, prevents any of the apps on your phone from turning on all those kind of nasty personal data collection means. And so, uh, we, you know, our, our paradigm in telecommunications is 180 out from big tech. And, you know, if you're not, I think it's important for, for people to remember that if you're not paying for something, when you're using an app, you're not the customer, you're actually the product. Because they are That's very they're, interesting. They're, they're monetizing your data. So what you think is free is really not free at all. You're actually providing revenue for the app or whatever kind of website it is that you're using. That's correct. You know, I don't think people are aware of how much data that they're providing these companies on a daily basis i mean what are the telltale signs that your data has been collected by somebody and is being being monetized well it's very simple if you look for something if you search for something i've had so many people that have told me i was talking to my wife talking in their bedroom about needing a new mattress and the next day they're getting advertising for new mattresses, which means their phone was listening, listening to that conversation. Anytime, again, whether it's a browser, 
whether it's a microphone, even your location data is all collected by big tech and and stored in their data servers and used to profile you to sell your data for advertising. The, the, there was an article in the Atlantic last fall that talked about how the average kid in America, by the time they reached the age of 13, that 72 million data points collected on them by the age of 13. So it's effectively digital profiling. Uh, in an age of AI, it's, it's kind of a scary phenomenon. Yeah, can you spell out the, that? I mean, Eric, I grew up with a manual typewriter and that stuff you used to paste on the piece of paper when you wanted to cover a mistake. And I've, you know, lived through the invention of the personal computer and of the handheld phone and the handheld computer and all that. But, you know, I still, because I'm of that generation, I fail to anticipate the kinds of uh, outcomes that can occur when you add, for example, as you just said, AI to data collection. What, what are we looking at here? <laughs> You're looking at well, what big tech has created um, is a it's kind of an Orwellian 1984-like nightmare where this great convenience of a personal phone is also collecting and exporting all of your data, all of your communications. And so really you become nothing but a, but a public message board because that advertising idea is following around. And, and, you know, we have some other unique features on the phone. Uh, we ha it's the first phone with actual firewall settings so that when you shut off the Bluetooth or the microphone or the camera, or the touch-to-pay features, anything like that. When it's off, it's actually shut off, and no app can undo that. And we even have a kill switch, which separates the battery from the electronics so that off is really off. Ah. Um, unique well, characteristics. Me, Eric, let me ask you this. It's one thing for... Uh, you'd be providing data for people that want to sell you something, a product of some type or a vacation or uh, some sort of, you know, piece of clothing or a mattress, as you put it. But isn't there, a, aren't there obvious dangers of what else can be used with that data? Uh, yes. Well, <laughs> whether it's, whether it's um, pushing, uh, if you have an addiction, that big tech can push you more to feed that addiction, or um, it's effectively uh, digital grooming. Um, and you know the, the the federal government gets around um, normal warrant service by collecting all this data from big tech. You know we have the Fourth Amendment that's supposed to make us uh, secure in our own persons and property. Um, but now big tech, or sorry, big government with a, with a thousand dollars can buy cell phone data and know pretty much everywhere you've gone, everyone you interact with, everything you browse, everyone you call without any, without any warrant. So it's, um, it's very, very alarming and we did this phone as a, uh, uh, as a way for free people to communicate securely and be confident that their device is not part of the problem, but part of the solution. Isn't this already happening in China where they use your facial res reg uh, recognition software to give you a, a rating in terms of your, say, your... Yes, yeah, your it's, it's, your it's, it's, virtues. it's even worse. It's even, it's, yeah, it's, it's called the social credit score. And it's even, right, if you're... If you say the wrong things publicly or if you offend the wrong politician, they don't let you travel by train or buy, buy plane tickets or, or whatever. It's, um, or you can't get, uh, you can't get a bank loan. So it's, it's again, they've, they've, um, it's gone even farther what the American left wants to do here is, and that's the politicization of everything. So well, we're, we're seeing that in, in state taking. We're seeing that in states taking legislative action to remove Donald Trump from ballots. 
Indeed. Yes, and debanking and the weaponization of every aspect of 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 whether it's healthcare or banking or any other social services based on whether you're a um, effectively either the, the left is trying to implement the the same aspects of the Chinese social credit score and it's and it's quite alarming. See, I think that's a hook that should be used by unplugged by your company to really stress the importance of adopting your product. In other words, we have to we have to, as it were, close the door to the kind of data collection that can lead to, you know, summarily removing us from our bank accounts because we're not the right kind of person. I've had I've had friends with companies, large companies, that have been debanked, as you put it. Oh yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> oh, <you> too. <laughs> well. You know, somehow that doesn't surprise me, Eric. But uh, it does that hold up in court? Can banks do that? Um, you can't try to litigate everything, or you'd be litigating all the time. Exactly. I mean, I have people who kind of I mentioned several people that I mentioned unplugged to, and by the way, the website is unplugged dot com unplugged.com uh, I've had you know several people intensely interested in looking into your product like I say with its own unique operating system and so forth and I've had others just kind of shrug their shoulders and say I don't have anything to hide why why should I why should it bother me that people are uh, gathering data on me what do you say to them uh, I would encourage them to read 1984, and, um, and you know some people want to be free, and some people want to be uh, part of the blob. And um, well, what did Reagan say? Freedom is only is only one generation away from extinction. But we wanted it, look. We did unplugged. We created it to um, to give free people a choice uh, that they didn't have to to have their stuff collected, that they could speak securely. We have our own secure messenger, which generates a new encryption key every call and every message. It has a dump feature um, because, again, um, the, the the presumption with big government and big tech is that um, everyone's guilty, and uh, it's just a matter of finding the right data on them. And uh, we don't we don't agree with that premise. Well, now, are you asking people to give up? certain aspects of their smartphone life? In other words, if people are using things like Facebook and Twitter, now called X, no. are they going to have to give that up when they purchase an unplugged Twitter, phone? Twitter works. The social media apps work. Again, our, our operating system prevents those apps from turning on personal identifying data, location data, etc., so it might look a little different because uh, there's not going to be filled with other pop-up advertising. Huh. No, those still work, right? That's fine so with what, me, Eric. What, what, what doesn't work, Google Maps doesn't. We have a navigation software um, that you can get around with. But, uh, you know, Google Maps is notorious for building and profiling. Even if you're not using it, if it's even on your phone at all, it's collecting. It's collecting how you drive. It's collecting where you go. It's um, it is Big Brother, and so we wanted we wanted a platform that you could remove Big Brother from your from your from your life, or at least keep him on his side of the fence. How can I mean? How do you think in the immediate future this kind of data collection can be used politically, or will be used politically? Well, it, look, it already is. Um, whether you're a pro-lifer praying at an abortion clinic or which political rally you go to or even which church you attend, there's too many stories to count of federal agents accessing that information with no warrant and with no probable cause for anything, but yet um, uh, even, the, you know, even the issue when uh, parents were rightly protesting some of the nonsense that school boards were doing, um, 
law enforcement can collect as to who attends that school board meeting just by the cell phone data of who showed up at, at, a, at a meeting that night. Isn't that what happened on January 6th? Yes. Anybody that was on Capitol Hill that had a phone, even if their phone was off, it's still pinging towers and it's still pinging Wi-Fis, leaving identifying information. That's exactly how everyone was scooped up, arrested, dragnetted uh, because of cell phone data. I can think of few more grievous aspects of injustice than that that has happened to the January 6th detainees. I agree. I completely agree. Especially when you, when you, when you contrast that with the actual violent um, uh, riots that occurred in the summer of 2020 where people were killed, billions of dollars of property damage done, and really no, no um, arrests or convictions to speak of. I want to change the subject just a bit because this, this question is just, it plagues me. I mean, when you look at a statue of just, the goddess of justice, she's blind. She has something wrapped around her and tied around her eyes so she can't see the color or the religion or even the identity of the person that she's judging. You know, what has happened to our judicial system that it's just become another arm of politics? It's uh, it's extremely scary. It's reminiscent of, um, uh, I think it was Evgeny Beria, who was Stalin's head of the NKVD in the Soviet Union. He said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Oh. And, uh, you know, friends, friends of mine that endured the Soviet Union said they made everything illegal, so it was just a matter of finding some infraction that you'd done and, uh, and squeezing you on it. So it was the hyper-politicization of all aspects of life, and that's, uh, it is exceedingly dangerous. Republics don't survive long that weaponize justice like that. That's already a fait accompli, isn't it? Um, well, elections matter. And uh, I certainly hope things uh, go differently for liberty uh, this fall. Pretty, pretty stark choices. I mean, I, I people, saw this. Some, pe- some people might might not like what Trump says. They might not um, agree with his, some of his, um, his language. But I like his, uh, his love of country and his love of the Constitution and, uh, and a pursuit of limited government and freedom, not, not living under a big state. I mean, I saw a federal judge uh, that was uh, confirmed last week who on his social media had called all Republicans uh, insurrectionists. But he was confirmed, and, and so he's going to, somebody with that state of mind is going to be making judgments about you and me if we come into his court. Yes. Uh, what what part of the country was he was he confirmed in? California. Oh, another good reason to avoid California. That's another <laughs> California, except for certain very specific pockets, is a goner, isn't it? Well, I don't. You know, I don't see. I, I, I look at the country. I even look at the electoral map, and it is really this is a a rural versus urban. Um, disagreement and when you look at most of the landmass of america and uh, i would say more than half the population is quite sane and and recognizes and loves uh what made uh america free and wealthy and effective in the first place and but this explosion of government spending has reinforced every negative habit of greed and sloth welfare in increasingly urban hellholes and and that is an addiction that is very very hard to shake and I mean really whether uh, whether we like it or not government is does not have the kind of money to spend uh, on this on this prolific welfare spending that's we've gotten used to over the last uh, 40 50 years because 34 trillion 
um, and in debt and and having um, a more competitive environment for for products, for manufacturing, for energy, and a less credible uh, U.S. government, U.S. Defense Department. Um, you know, we we risk a hyperinflation as like like the like the Weimar Republic experienced in Germany in the 1920s, with with all kinds of dangerous uh, after effects that the world suffered from. So America does need to get its house in order, and we need to spend less. And we need to spend less on everything. We need to cut defense. We need to cut social spending and just cut the size of government. I'm I'm super inspired by Mile, the new president of Argentina. Uh, because he, in a matter of a few months, cut a huge amount of budget deficit. Really? Got the, yes, <laughs> for the first time in like 25 years. God bless and him. He, uh, he promised um, to cut. I mean, there's a fantastic video of him going down the line of all these government ministries that he campaigned on that he was going to they was going to close. And uh, I think his famous word was uh, was afuerta, like get out. And uh, and he's doing that, and he is he is pushing a very very stiff steel broom, and someone needs to push a stiff steel broom through Washington D.C. and just clean up the mess. But it also comes down: we need to pressurize Republicans because if we really do hold the House right now, there's no reason we need to pa- we need to pass spending bills anything like someone would recognize from two years or ten years ago. We can cut government. Right now, by passing by, by just cutting spending, period, our government will suck less if it's smaller. Make it smaller. I'm talking with Eric Prince, whose name you may know in in connection to Blackwater, but also to we've been talking about his new company and new phone, Unplug, and the name the uh, name of the website is Unplug.com. I also, I mean, Eric, as I look through the topics of the programs that you have on your new podcast called Off Leash with Eric Prince, I mean, I find one after another very, very interesting. And I want to combine a question of government spending with Israel. Uh, Are we, we are... uh, they are completely dependent upon us, are they not, for the kind of military action that they've had to resort to in response to Gaza, correct? They, so they wrongly accepted the, the siren song of U.S. military aid money and outsourced huge amounts of their own defense production to plants in the United States. And the U.S. defense industrial base has been so consolidated and so bureaucratized, it can't possibly even keep up on areas from all the Ukraine consumption of weapons. And now with the uh, much additional uh, uh, spending needed on, um, on Israel's current fight. So it's um, they're in a bad way. They are short on big munitions. And... Um, well, Eric, I'm I'm what it this really connects with a book I'm reading. Of, it's the third book of a trilogy by Rit Atkinson on World War II, where after the U.S. Army and Air Force and so forth uh, successfully got free from Normandy and they started entering the Germany, they couldn't move any longer because they didn't have any munitions. Exactly, they they had to starve Patton's Third Army. Uh, for the politics of assuaging uh, Montgomery and the uh, and the British Army, right. And so our guys went on half rations in the face of an enemy that was reorganizing itself for a huge onslaught. Yeah, dangerous times. So I mean, as you know, when you read history, you fought, you start finding analogies and parallels everywhere. To try to see the future, I think it's just important to be able to look back far enough. There's nothing really new in, in warfare. There's nothing really new in statecraft. Um, some dummies tried it before with probably very mixed results. Well, let me ask you, we have two minutes in this segment. 
tell us what you think of our funding of Ukraine. Um, look, what uh, what the Russians did is completely wrong. It was wrong for them to take to 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 start this war. Uh, I think the West was unnecessarily provocative um, from a Russian perspective. It's the Soviet army that that defeated Nazism. They lost 22 million people doing that. We lost 250,000 in the European theater of operations. So when the Russians look out and they see more unfriendly countries on their border than at any time since May of 1940, I understand why they get uh, pretty upset. We're going to come back to that. I'm talking with Eric Prince, the founder of Unplug a phone company that has a real future to protect your privacy and mine. We'll be back in just a moment. with Eric Prince, who is co-founder of Unplugged Technologies. He was the founder and president of Blackwater, the former Navy SEAL officer, and the author of a book entitled Civilian Warriors, the inside story of Blackwater and the unsung heroes of the war on terror, and the host of a podcast entitled Off Leash with Eric Prince, available on all podcast platforms. Eric, should we be sending the Ukraine these billions and billions of dollars? No, look, at this point, the idea that Ukrainians are going to recapture all their land that was seized by the Russians, I think is a, uh, is a fool and a demographic, is a fool's errand and a demographic disaster. At this point, you're just wiping out future generations of, of Ukrainian men. And I would say an ugly piece is better than a been an ongoing hot war that has no prospects of victory. Uh, the Russian defense base is cranked up in a way that the U.S. and European defense base is still nowhere near coming. The Chinese, the North Koreans, have, have and, and the Iranians have all piled on to help the Russians. And uh, I think it's uh, it's a much better idea to force a, uh, a ceasefire and a freezing of the lines, straighten them out. And Ukraine should focus on rebuilding its manpower and its economy, and then let it be a competitive alternative, a place that is actually embraces freedom and capitalism and innovation versus the kleptocracy and the crony capitalism with the oligarchs that still plague Ukraine, and obviously that still plagues much of Russia. So, is Zelensky part of that? Yes, certainly. Wow. Well, let me ask you this question. One thing that we keep hearing about in terms of the Israeli conflict and the Middle East in general is the influence of Iran. We keep hearing about Iran is uh, funding different organizations to do its dirty work for it, whether it's Hezbollah or the Houthis or, or the Hamas. Have we got our eyes on Iran as as deeply and steadily as we should have them? Look, the Iranians are very good at surrogate warfare. They've been building that capability for decades now. They first started with Hezbollah, the party of God, in Lebanon. And it's a Shia proxy army that is truly threatening Israel on the north side, on the northern border. You know, as many rockets as Hamas fired, which was five or 10,000, uh, Hezbollah has more like 150 to 200,000 rockets and enough to devastate and overwhelm, devastate Israeli infrastructure and overwhelm the Iron Dome defensive systems. Um, so they, they built and really displaced any kind of American credibility and, in, 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 uh, uh, influence in Iraq because they built another surrogate army there called the Hashtashabi, the Popular Mobilization Units. In Yemen, they run the Houthis. Um, 
they've even they've even hired tens of thousands of uh, Afghans, Afghan Shia, and moved them to the Syrian border with Israel, so that Israel has obviously a Hezbollah threat, uh, an Iranian proxy threat from Syria, and also from uh, from Hamas, of course. And then uh, the one I'm really worried about is, is the, the damage that the Houthis have done to shipping through the Red Sea, but half the world's container traffic. They have lowered the volume passing through the Suez by over 90%. Really? Which is caused, that, I didn't realize yeah. that it already happened. Yep. Oh, yeah. And and it just, like two weeks ago, it caused the Egyptian pound, the Egyptian currency, to devalue by over 25%. And that is, Egypt is in, is in danger with 110 million people, a very large block of poor population that are quite subject to radicalization by the Muslim Brotherhood and, and uh, that paradigm. And they have a huge military. And the only reason the Muslim Brotherhood is not in power there now is because Sisi took power from Mohammed Morsi, who was set to kill him. Uh, and, and, and Sisi saved his country and took it back from the Muslim Brotherhood. But um, if you have and in greater impoverished people rioting in the streets, stimulated by the Muslim Brotherhood and by Qatar and their mouthpiece Al Jazeera, that is a huge danger to the Middle East. So these proxies, the U.S. has proven to be not very good under current Biden leadership at pushing back on. If you compare that to under Trump, when he killed Qasem Soleimani, who was the head of the IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, um, I, I would equate Soleimani as a combination of, of Heinrich Himmler, Joseph Goebbels, and Otto Skorzeny, three very wow. capable Nazis. Himmler was the head of the SS. Yeah. Um, Goebbels, the head of propaganda, and Skorzeny was a was a very famous SS commando leader. Uh, but but um, Soleimani was was really all three of those rolled into one. He was that good. And Trump took him out. And my God, did that did that brush the Iranians back? They were truly scared. They respected American power, and they behaved themselves. And you have the, exactly the opposite under three and a half years now of complete um, uh, of of benign, uh, uh, servile attitude by the United States government. Where are they it's on shocking. the nuclear capacity? They are. They, they announced that they're processing, that they're moving to the 80, 90 percent um, um, concentration, and and in Iran with a nuclear weapon is a very, very big game changer and exceedingly dangerous to the Middle East because now, because then they can do, they can go fully, um, fully crazy with their proxies, without any any with, with that nuclear deterrence. If anybody strikes them in Iran that um, uh, they have a nuclear weapon to retaliate with. So are we in the Israeli going... We, 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 are, we are in a worse era even than, than 1976 to 1980, Carter administration. We do have a hostage crisis. Six of those people held in Gaza are American citizens. Nobody seems to be uh, talking about... There's still 100 hostages left. Um, held by uh, by Hamas and their uh, their apologists on uh, American universities. Oh. Are we going to allow Iran is and are we and the Israelis going to allow Iran to reach 100 percent capacity? I don't know. I, if I could, I'd be uh, I'd be a smart man if I could figure out what the hell was going on in, in Joe Biden's head. I'm not sure Didn't we already take out their nuclear capacity once? No. The, uh, was it Sy- oh, the, it was Syria? It was Syria. Yeah. Now, and the Israelis have done a very good job of using intelligence capacity to take out key scientists and to take out some key facilities. And in fact, at one point, they stole millions of documents of the Iranians literally dictating their whole roadmap for how they were going to build nuclear weapons, which proves them to be liars because, you know, the Iranians always said, oh, our nuclear program is just for, for, for electrical power. Yeah, no way. It's it's absolutely for nukes. It seems to me that has to be stopped, Eric. You'd think so. 
Or I don't know how to do it. I'm, you know, but uh, right, look, here's the thing: the that's unacceptable. Regime, the, the regime is not popular with its populace. The women life freedom protests have been going very strong for years now, and we hear nothing but crickets from Washington. Just like in 2009, when millions of people took to the streets protesting the regime, wanting to be free, women wanting to be able to show their hair or wear a skirt or listen to rock and roll music or drink a beer, um, nothing, nothing, point nothing of support for them from the Biden administration or even from the Obama administration as far back as 09. They used to have a very advanced civilization. Say again one more time. Iran used to have a very advanced civilization. Absolutely. Extremely cultured. Look, it's a very, very hardworking, very literate, very uh, educated population that are stuck under the boot of some crazy mullahs. And the people want to be free. A free Iran would become a significant dominant player in the Middle East because they have a high work ethic, high intelligence, and insignificant natural resources. That would be excellent for the entire region, uh, but not not while it's being dictated by by crazy um, uh, Shia supremacist militias operating uh, Shia supremacist strongmen and operating you know uh, a half dozen military wings across um, across the Middle East. And I would even say uh, what you've seen from the weaponry that the Houthis have given to them by the Iranians missiles, anti-ship cruise missiles, even ballistic missiles. Um, The the Iranians have been busy building and providing that kind of missile capability to Venezuela, which Venezuela can also threaten the ship traffic going to the Panama Canal and obviously their neighbor, Guyana, where they've just created a uh, (laughs) border dispute. They want to take take 70% of Guyana's land which happens to hold the newest, largest oil deposit in the Western Hemisphere in the last 40 years. So I notice on your podcast you've addressed that possibility of an invasion there. Yes, it'll be a hybrid warfare type invasion. The Venezuelans have already moved thousands of Venezuelan special forces to the border areas, put them in civilian clothes, and they're infiltrating them in those plain clothes. So, again... Guyana is going to get rolled. They're looking to the U.S. to provide help, and they're looking to the Pentagon, and the Pentagon is just providing the same dumb conventional playbook. And I, I am concerned that within the next six months, Guyana is going to get rolled. Where's Ronald Reagan? Um, yes. Where's Bill Casey? Yeah. Look, the, the, because you know, you think about a continuum of statecraft. You have diplomats and embassies on one end; they can probably do ten percent of things. You have a military that should be extremely strong, extremely lethal, extremely meritocratic, and it's like a big dog, well-behaved, waiting to be let off-leash. Um, and we have a military that is focused on the wrong things, on, on equity and diversity and, and huh. a green agenda and all the rest. Instead of uh, There's two things a military commander does, coordinates information, and releases energy. Our information is garbled because it's really focused on the wrong things and the wrong metrics, and two, our cost of energy, our cost of weaponry, our cost of putting warheads on foreheads of the enemy has gotten insanely high, and and that takes a real restructuring in a way that we haven't seen in probably 100-plus years. Um, I hope... I hope that our next president and our next defense staff is up to that. Um, you know, we have a greater, we have the same amount of flag officers in office now that we did during World War II when you had 14 million men in uniform. We now have about 1.4 million, 10%, wow. but the same amount of flag officers as World War II. So, again, there is a severe haircut that is necessary to just cut the overhead down to size, put more people back into combat arms, and uh, lighten up and strengthen up in the right places. The the fact that 90% of the ship traffic through, I take it, the Suez Canal 
has occurred. How how is it that the Western world, who relies on the ship the ship traffic for for goods and services around the world, raw materials and so forth, why would they allow that to continue? They, that should be that should be fixed tomorrow. Sure, that's why we have a navy, right? The first day I went to the Naval Academy, okay. By the second day, they were teaching us what is the mission of the U.S. Navy. It is power projection and sea control. And the thing they all pointed to is there's a bunch of key choke points around the world that we must maintain control of, not let an enemy control, like the Straits of Hormuz in the Persian Gulf, the Straits of Gibraltar the Panama Canal, the Straits of Malacca in Indonesia, and, of course, the Babel Mandab, which is right there off of Yemen. And so the Iranians, having armed the Houthis, a Shia ragtag guerrilla group, uh, armed them with long-range weapons, effectively allows them to be long-range pirates, shooting at will. But the thing that I'm really baffled about, Bill, is the targeting required for the Houthis to launch those missiles at long-range, they need they need effectively ISR, Intelligence Surveillance Reconnaissance. That is provided to them by an Iranian IRGC cargo vessel that's been converted to a clandestine intelligence vessel. That thing is still cruising around those straits. That, right? that could be long, taken out this long, afternoon. It, accidents happen. Right. The sea is a dangerous place. That cool. That, to me, blows my mind. And, you know, the British have lost ships, British flag vessels, uh, and a number of other international carriers. Some of them have been seized, the, the crews taken hostage. And, and, and you know, uh, uh, this gets solved. The only way this gets solved, because I don't, see the U, I don't see the Marine Corps being allowed to go in and clean out and stomp on the Houthis, is a contracted solution. And at the risk of sounding self-serving, Somebody else wants to do it, great. But uh, this, the, the, a similar problem was solved when Egypt actually invaded Yemen in the 60s under Nasser, who was a big Pan-Arabist guy, right. stimulated by the Soviet Union, deposed the monarch, and the Saudis were pissed about it, as was the British government, and they ended up hiring David Sterling, the founder of the SAS, with a crew of men, and they went and they drove the Egyptians out of there. Uh, that's the only way this gets solved, because the Emiratis and the Saudis rightly were trying to pressurize the Houthis uh, in an intervention with them started about eight years ago. It did not go well for them, and especially because the U.S., under the Obama crowd, were just pounding them as well. Uh, no, you know what? That started, like, in 2014 already, ten years ago, and it didn't go well for them. And, uh, and now the Houthis are feeling uh, strong and cocksure of themselves. This is bad. And so someone needs to go teach the Houthis a lesson. Does the contracted solution give a nation plausible deniability? What you can do, obviously the, the Houthis are trying to rule the entire country. There's a recognized right. government of Yemen called the Southern Transition Council. We could get a, a, a force... A contracted capability can come in behind them, which is still re- regarded, recognized as the legitimate government of Yemen, ah. and empower them to clean up their own house. Does Yemen want them out? Yes. Well, I mean, look, they, they just want the Houthis to behave themselves instead of <laughs> instead of shooting up. I mean, they, they've they've crushed their oil industry. There's ah. a lot of people very impoverished in Yemen unnecessarily because of these uh, crazy Houthis way over-empowered by Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps officers. Would it take, from your perspective as someone who knows this this terrain, would it take that much to remove them? Um, look, to remove, hard. To, to put them in a different frame of mind, to make them much more willing to negotiate, not that long. Yeah. 120 days. Seems like that should be in the works. You would hope so, but there's not a lot of imagination in Washington. Well, there's not a much, not a much will because of our over bureaucratization of war, um, where we've really allowed lawyers 
JAG officers to become what Zampolitz were in the Soviet Union. A Zampolitz is a political officer. It's a political officer that was attached to the commander of each ship or each military unit in the Soviet Union. And the Zampolitz was there to enforce the will of the Communist Party. And I would argue that JAG officers have become that. They've been way over-empowered to second-guess every decision made by the commander to the detriment of unit effectiveness and especially mission effectiveness. If we're there to win wars, well, then let's win wars. If we're there to, to do the will of, of, um, of policy wonks sitting in their air-conditioned cubicles in the Pentagon, that would explain our ridiculous, ineffective behavior in Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, and basically anywhere the U.S. military has touched uh, in the last 25, 30 years. Our response has been sort of just face-saving. Is that correct? No, it's not, not even face-saving. It's uh, We kind of go through the motions. It's like a, it's like a, a defense Potemkin village, just a, a fake a fake show of noise. Even Biden's response, right? So we met, you had... Um, Yet all these attacks by the Hashishabi against U.S. bases in Iraq, even killing three Americans, three Georgia reservists at a base in Jordan. And then what did the Biden team do? They, they waited five or six days, and they said, well, we're taking our time, and we, we will respond in our own timing. And they basically, um, uh, <laughs> they announced pretty much the kind of a targets they're going after and gave all those targets a chance to move. Right. to remove their people so that none of the enemy was actually killed in the process. They, that's what I mean. They choreographed their moves instead of being in <laughs> acting with speed and surprise and violence of action. Well, I mean, are they afraid? Are, what's holding them back? Is it is it a form of fear? Um, I think it's a. They, they are truly befuddled. They don't know what to do. And what I, what I, my concern is, they're actually afraid because they've allowed so many millions of people into America illegally without any vetting, any visibility as to what they are. We know that it's proven that the Iranians, for years, have been pushing tens of thousands of military-age males to Venezuela, where they pick up Venezuelan documents. And they then march north. And so the likelihood of significant Iranian terror cells living, operating, staging in America is very, very high. So that if whatever came to actual blows with Iran, you would see significant October 7 Hamas, or in this case, Iranian proxy attacks inside of America. Do you believe that although, to be the although, case? Although, air, although, air? In, although, in, although in red states where free people are armed and ready, it wouldn't go as well for them. But in blue, super soft, liberal cities and states, it would be very ugly. And that's all the big cities? Yes. I think without exception. Afraid so. With the exception of Miami. Miami's run by a Republican. (laughs) (laughs) But do you believe it be the case that Iran has these terror cells in the United States? I would say that with 90% assurance. Are we taking it seriously enough, in your opinion? I don't, I don't think there's anything that the, Iranian, that, the, that the U.S. government does in foreign policy or national security that it's done anything with seriousness for the last four years. Again, is it, is it stupidity or, or fear or just, like you say, a kind of confusion? I think it's almost like a um, uh, it's almost like a boxer that's in a ring that is overwhelmed and now it's cowering in the corner, ducking and covering, just hoping to not get hit anymore in the head, in the body, uh, just just hoping to not get kicked with the knockout with the knockout punch. I recall a very famous book written about the years before World War One called The Sleepwalkers. Okay. Yeah, uh, they, 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 that's right. I remember reading that as well. Uh, we just sleptwalked into a, a Pearl Harbor and those kind of disasters. Right. 
Well, they they slept walk to the point where when Princess Prince Franz Ferdinand got shot, they weren't prepared for the various uh, various ways of decision making that happened throughout Europe that led to a totally uh, non-essential war, totally without any merit. Is that what's going to happen here? Um, I'm afraid so. So you see conflict coming in the future? I'm afraid so. I think the um, I think the the credibility and deterrence of the U.S. military and the U.S. national security apparatus has been degraded to where our enemies don't take us seriously anymore. I think they would they would fear a Trump returning, which means the timeline for them to do things is between now and January um, when when adults may take over again. I think it's likely that China does some kind of provocation to start to move on Taiwan. I think Venezuela will move on Guyana. Uh, the Iranians will destabilize further Bahrain. There you have a Sunni population, sorry, a Shia population with a Sunni king. I think they will press hard to destabilize uh, further Egypt and um, very likely a, uh, a conflict on the northern border with Israel as well with, uh, with Hezbollah. So there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of moving parts and a lot of places that can, get, um, can go kinetic quickly. I think it's very clear that we all should be listening to your podcast entitled Off Leash with Eric Prince as well as looking into your new phone product that protects our privacy from political snooping and political pressure called Unplugged, Unplugged unplugged.com. Eric Prince, thanks for being my guest today on Church and Culture. Thank you, Deal. And listen, I'm sorry to sound like a negative guy. I'm usually very optimistic. It's just that I've been kind of seeing the tea leaves and it's uh, and it's not looking great for the, for Team America this year. And so uh, please buckle up, prepare, and uh, this republic is worth uh, defending and saving. Thank you for doing that, Eric. And to all of you who are listening, I'll be back in a moment with another great guest. <laughs>